Well, good morning. I want to invite you all to a party this afternoon. Today at 3 o'clock, we're having Fall Fest right here on the South parking lot. Come on, y'all come. It's going to be a fun time. I mean, free-flowing candy, exotic animals, pony rides, and all kinds of stuff. Most of all, I love to watch the kids all dressed up in their costumes, and boy, it's, it's just all-out fun. Well, today we're going to continue in our study um, in the book of Mark, and as Mark writes about the man who changed the world, Jesus, the Son of God, I think he very strategically places things in the narrative because these are things that he wants us to know about Jesus. It defines who he is, and it, it kind of marks the direction of his ministry and life. And so we're, in, we're just flowing in the passage. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Jesus and his healing ministry in Mark chapter 1. Um, we, we're going to we're, we're, we're get there. We'll see what verse are we in. I'll tell you in a minute. You know, I do remember the time as a father when my daughter Coco was just so tiny and she got sick. Cindy took her to the doctor, came back. They said, well, the doctor says it's, it's a virus. It's going to hurt. Nothing we can do. Just has to wear it out. And I remember holding Coco as she was like, so she was in pain and hurt, and she looked at me and she said, Daddy, we you, you just please make it stop hurting? And I, I had to tell her, I want to, but I can't. Now, of course, Mom came with some Tylenol, and that seemed to help, and Mom does a great job comforting. But I do remember that moment where I was like so sad. Like she had never experienced the pain of illness, the helplessness of being sick and not being able to just take it away. And I'm her dad and I, I would have done it in a man with all my heart if, if I, but I didn't have the power to just take away her illness. As we read through Mark chapter 1, you know, our, our question really about Jesus is, will he care about our illness, our pain, our suffering? Will he just walk on past us? Will he pretend like it's not a big deal? What will his response be? I mean, Jesus has said, at the beginning of his message, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So my question is, in this kingdom of God, are we still going to hurt all the time? Will we keep getting sick? Will we experience illness like we do? And Jesus knows he is not going to leave us in this fallen, painful, sinful world. And in fact, Revelation chapter 21 gives a very clear depiction of the vision that Jesus has. This is what his kingdom is going to be like. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
Also, there, were no, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, they're faithful and true. In Mark chapter 1, as Jesus begins his ministry, he does see the sickness, he does see the suffering. He doesn't just walk on by. He steps in and he heals and he helps. Who is this man? He actually is a man who has the power to heal. More than that, he heals because of a heart of great compassion. So Mark 1.29. Now as soon as he came out of the synagogue, so last time we talked about this, um, Jesus uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John had gone to the synagogue, and in the synagogue there was a man that was possessed of an unclean spirit, and Jesus, he cast out the unclean spirit. So it was quite an important day, and then after they, they left the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon is also called Peter, later on Jesus calls him Peter, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and he told, her, he told him about her at once. So Jesus comes in, one of the first things they say to Jesus is, you know, actually my wife's mother is sick with a fever. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she served them. Now what's interesting about that passage is that Jesus isn't too busy or unconcerned to care about the mother-in-law. In fact, he goes in and he gets her hand and he heals her and lives her up. And you know what, if, if you have had a fever, usually it takes a couple days for you to regain your strength. But this, this mother-in-law, immediately her strength is returned and we can see that because she gets up and she starts cooking for this group. She's back to normal. Now, you know what? Getting sick in the first century was a whole different experience than it is for you and I today with modern medicine. You know, when we get sick, you know what we do? We go to the doctor. And the doctor doesn't just guess about what could be wrong with us. He has at his disposal generations of medical science that help him decipher exactly what's wrong with us. I mean, think about it. He can order a blood test, an x-ray, a, a CAT scan, a CT scan. I think they may be the same thing. I'm not very sure. Whatever. He can, the doctor can do all of that. And then once he gets an idea of what the reason for our, our sickness, our fever is, he, he can prescribe medications. Medications about, that, that have to do with our sickness. Tested medications who act, that actually make us better. Sometimes... You know, in those days, people got a fever and nobody really knew what was going on and there was no way to figure that out. Sometimes they were sick for a couple days and they got well and all was good. 
Sometimes the fever struck and they got bad and they went to worse and they got very sick and they even died. So when you got sick with the fever back in the first century, nobody knew what was going to happen. I mean, it was a hopeless and frightening moment because you didn't know which direction this was going to take. And when you were sick and full of pain, you didn't have Tylenol. Okay, not to prefer one over the other. There's a bunch of stuff out there. I mean, I love Tylenol. I mean, I, I don't love, love Tylenol. But, <laughs> but I'm always so grateful that we have this medication that when you wake up and you're not feeling good and things are hurting, you can actually take this. It doesn't heal you. It just masks the symptom. But that's a great thing, right? So Jesus goes and he heals her. He did have power over sickness and disease. It goes on in verse 32. At evening... When the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. I mean, can you imagine when the word went out that Jesus had the power to heal diseases? He could cast out demons. He could heal diseases. I mean, they never heard of anything like an urgent care. All of a sudden, people that were sick, some sick for a little while, some for a long time perhaps, and they came to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus healed them. And it was an amazing moment in that town because Jesus had the power over disease. You know, this whole idea of caring about the sick was a signature part of the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus was talking about the great day of final judgment in Matthew 25, he was telling his disciples what God pays attention to. In verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. Notice it doesn't say you healed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. One of the marks of the community that Jesus created was a concern for people who were sick. Now, John Ortberg, one of my favorite writers, he talks about the great compassion of Jesus and how that Jesus, through these words, actually launched a movement of great compassion, of helping the sick. And this is what he has to say. He quotes sociologist Rodney Stark who said, one of the main reasons for the expansion of the church came because of two major epidemics that destroyed a fourth or a third of the world population. We've just come through a pandemic and it was terrible. And we can report the numbers of people that died because of this virus. But in this particular time, the, the, these two uh, epidemics killed a third or a fourth of the world? That's incredibly sad. 
While the people would throw bodies of the sick into the streets, folks of this strange little community called the church would bring in sick people that they did not know, to whom they were not related, and care for them at the risk of their own health, because this Jesus they followed cared for lepers and the blind and the deaf and the lame. Then as this movement grew in the fourth century, what was this... uh, What was essentially the first hospital for prolonged care for the sick was developed by a follower of Jesus named St. Benedict. And then until the 6th century, monasteries would commonly have hospitals attached to them for the same ministry. You see, Jesus launched this whole idea of caring for the sick. The, The ministry of healing was something that inspired all of the followers of Jesus. Over time, the idea that compassion should be an expressed uh, on all the weak or marginalized began to transform a culture in which the idea had not previously existed and Jesus changed the world. You know, there was a, a guy by the name of Henry Dunant. He's French, I probably didn't pronounce that correctly. But he was the founder of the Red Cross. Now let me tell you about this guy. This guy was a businessman And he was working on a deal where he needed to secure some water rights and he went to Paris and he explored all of his options and all of his contacts and he couldn't find anybody to help him. Now he he couldn't move forward with this. He had to deal with this. The only person he knew that had the power and could help him with the water rights was Napoleon, the president of France. But Napoleon wasn't in Paris because he was in the battlefield, because he was conducting a war. So what does Henry do? He goes to the battlefield field in order to talk to Napoleon, the the president, in order to secure, I mean, this guy is serious about getting the deal done. You know what I'm saying? He also grew up and came from a home of Christ followers. And as he was traveling, he traversed the battlefield where there was like between 30 and 40,000 men, bodies and wounded. And he, he heard the cries of the wounded and the dying on his way to this deal. And what does he do? Moved with the compassion he saw in Jesus. He goes into the battlefield and he begins to give first aid to these people. Now, he wasn't a doctor, but he was gonna do something. Why? Because Jesus healed the sick as a part of his ministry. You know, I, I, I read some of this, and it's, 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 you, you don't want to hear what I read. Some of, the smells of the battlefield were horrendous. The level of woundedness among the soldiers left to die was awful. A man who had been hurt so badly he was disfigured, whose face was caked with mud and blood, Henry went over and he got water. One of the biggest problems for these men was they were so thirsty and nobody was bringing them water. They didn't have any clean water. I mean, just the, just, just the comfort of some water when they were so thirsty, but Henry actually got water and gave it to this one guy who was very disfigured and, and he took some of the water and he dripped it very gently over his face that had been, he'd been so wounded and he, he just brushed away the mud and the blood and... Why? Because Jesus declared in my kingdom, 
we will care about the sick and the wounded. We will help them. Not only did he personally get involved trying to dress the wounds and provide some water and some food. He began to recruit people in the village and turn the church into sort of a makeshift hospital because some of the, the wounded were already there. And I mean, like, he organized the people to help. And he, one of the things that he did was he helped anybody who was wounded, regardless of what army you were a part of. This was the humanitarian idea that he eventually introduced into the Geneva Convention that had become very much a part of our world unto this day. Why did he do that? Because Jesus, Jesus healed the people around him who were sick. We're getting close to Christmas and soon we're gonna see people standing outside of our stores, grocery stores and, and, and other places um, with, with a, bells ringing. You know what I'm talking about? It's the Salvation Army. You know, the Salvation Army was started by a couple. Um, their last name was Booth. And it was their heart to help people who were in need, people who suffered. We see hospitals that have names like St. Jude, Good Samaritan, St. Anthony's, um, even in our town, Mercy Hospital, not to say that other hospitals don't have the same level of compassion, but there is no doubt that it was the ministry of healing of Jesus that set the culture of the church to care for the sick, the hurting, and the dying. John Ortberg goes on to say, very often, those of us who call ourselves Christians fall way, 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 way short. But a philosopher named Mark Nelson puts it like this. If you ask what is Jesus' influence on our medicine and compassion, I would suggest that wherever you have an institution of self-giving for the lonely and for, and for practical welfare, uh, welfare of the lonely, schools, hospitals, hospices, orphanages, for those who will never be able to repay, this probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. Amazing. I want to go to his kingdom. Do you? Secondly, it's interesting to notice in verse 35 that Jesus prioritizes time with the Father. He spends time in prayer with the Father. Now in the morning, having risen long before the daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. I mean, it's dark. He's exhausted. He wakes up early because he, in his busyness and success... He will not abandon his priorities. And his priorities included spending time with the Father. And finally, the disciple Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. They wake up, people are coming, they're like, where's Jesus? I don't know, do you know where he is? I don't know. Have you seen him? No. Well, where is he? Look at people are congregating. Man, we're on a roll here. We gotta ride this wave and, and we can't find Jesus. So they go and they look for him. Jesus is out in the wilderness and they find him and they said to him, and listen to the tone, everyone's looking for you. Jesus, who had miracle power to heal the sick. Jesus, who was doing important work would not 
no matter how successful or popular he got. Abandon the priority of spending time with God. You know, ironically, in our lives, I know in my life I've said things like, you know, I just haven't had time for my quiet time this last week. I'm, like, I'm so busy. Maybe sometimes we're thinking, I'm so important. I'm so busy. I don't have time. Here we have Jesus who was God himself. And he says, I cannot keep going unless I carve out time for solitude and worship, personal prayer and worship. And sometimes you and I, we think we're so busy, we don't have time for that. Ironically, we need to make time. What do you think? You know, sometimes I'm, I'm hoping that we can become a good Baptist church that every now and then when a preacher says something that, that you, know, you know, we need to make time. Oh man, look at this. You guys are good. You know, the essence of prayer, what, what did Jesus pray about? I mean, Jesus had all the power, right? He was God. Sometimes we think that prayer is all about getting from God. The essence of prayer is not give us our daily stuff. It is not forgive us of our sin, though those are included. The most important thing about prayer is the very beginning statement Jesus taught us to pray, and that is our Father. Because of Jesus, because of the reconciliation that Jesus provides between us and God through his death on the cross, his shed blood, and the forgiveness of sin, he says, I want to tell you how you pray. You pray, our Father. Hey, guess what? I got to go pray because do you know who my daddy is? My daddy is the creator of the world. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. He's my daddy. And I got to go spend time with him because I need him and I love him and I want to worship him. Very important that we don't get too busy. We keep the priority like it should be. Verse 38, here they're urging him. Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. Okay, so what's going on here is they were kind of like, Jesus, come back to Capernaum. I mean, let's go ahead and Let's paint up that, that shingle we're going to hang outside of your house. Healer. This could be the healing central for all of this region. Jesus actually says, actually, I've got a bigger plan than that. I need to proclaim this message of the coming kingdom that is so phenomenal to everyone, everyone everywhere. I did not just come to heal because all healing that Jesus did was temporary. Did you know that? 
Did you know that everyone that Jesus healed in this story eventually got sick and died? I think sometimes we get the idea of healing and we get all messed up because, well, God, sometimes there are people that I know and I love that didn't get healed. They actually got worse and their pain was strong and eventually they died and now I'm full of grief and loss and sadness and pain. And, 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 and I've, I've seen people turn away from God and get angry at God because he didn't bring the healing. And what Jesus was saying is, I've got an agenda much bigger than a temporary healing. Don't you understand? what I have come to do is to give you eternal life and to bring you into the eternal kingdom where no one ever gets sick and no one ever dies and sometimes we don't ask God for enough we're too easily content Jesus had come to save the world so don't be mad at God when he doesn't heal Keep trusting him. The ultimate healing for those who follow Jesus is coming. You know, I love the seniors of our church. We've got some incredible people in this church. The oldest person in our church right now is 99 years old. And I have said this many times. You've got to be really old to be old at High Street. But sometimes I go and I talk to them and, and they say, oh, pastor, I'm, I'm just getting so slow. And, and, and they say, how old are you, pastor? And I'll tell them. And they say, well, well you don't, worry about, don't have to worry about any of this stuff until you get to be 80. I'm like, wow, that's a blessing. That's a reality of life, though. The truth is we are going to get sick. And we should be praying for healing. James chapter 5 gives this instruction to us. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. So look at that. That is, that is something God uses to, to save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You know, a few weeks ago, um, I, uh, I kind of got in trouble with my wife and my daughters because I had been having a strong weakness and exhaustion that would hit me from time to time. I don't know if you remember when my brother spoke here several weeks ago now, um, it was a Saturday, I, once again, that this, this weakness and this kind of sickness hit me, and I, I knew I couldn't make it. I called my brother. I said, hey, Greg, are you in town? Yeah. Can, can you preach for me tomorrow? My brother always has to give me a hard time, which he did, but he eventually said yes. That afternoon, my family came and surrounded me. I was in bed. They got on the bed with me, and they says, they said to me, you know, Dad, we think you need to call the doctor. I hate to go to the doctor. I'm just going to tell you. I've been to the doctor. I've had open-heart surgery. I know what they can do. I'm still alive because of that. But anyway, it's not a fun process. 
And Coco sat there on the bed with me, and she says, you know, Dad, it's not that hard. That phone right there that you have, you can actually right now go to your My Mercy porthole, and you could, you could get an appointment with your doctor, like, right now. She's very influential. I did. I went to the doctor. I says, doctor, you know, they just, my family's getting, gets real concerned when I get sick because I have put them through a lot. And uh, so I get it. And they're afraid it's my heart. And he says, ah, all right. He says, he examined me. He says, I don't think it's your heart. He says, but we're going to do a thorough workup so that they will feel secure. He ordered blood work. He ordered an EKG. He, he ordered an x-ray. I thought, yeah, I'm going to let them know that I'm just fine. The x-ray came back the next day, and it said that I had pneumonia. And I had a partially collapsed lung. No wonder I wasn't feeling good. He gave me medicine. I started feeling better. And he said, I want you to go back in a month and get another x-ray and see how things are. So I went back after a month. I was feeling good, got another x-ray, and I was shocked when I got a call from the doctor and he said, well, we still are looking at what could be a partially collapsed lung around your heart and we can't see enough definition from the x-ray. I want you to go in and get a CT scan. Once again, I get that a little bit afraid feeling like, oh my goodness, here we go. I went in, but Sunday night before my CT scan, we had a deacon's meeting. And I called Jim Wade, who's the chairman of our deacons, or I talked to him before the meeting. I said, Jim, I got to go into the doctors for another exam. I mean, the Bible says to call the elders and ask, and I'm, I'm in the middle of all the elders, so would y'all pray for me tonight? Jim is awesome. Absolutely, Pastor. At the end of our meeting, he told them. And they surrounded me. Some of them laid hands on me. And they prayed for me. I'm just going to say, that's a humbling moment. It's really good for me to be humbled and to acknowledge before these men that I am reminded that I'm not in charge of my world, myself, that I need help. I actually need them to pray for me. If you're sick, you should pray. You should ask people to pray for you. By the way, I went in, got the CT scan, pretty amazing technology. I got a message that afternoon, uh, all is good, no follow-up needed. <laughs> yes, thank you, Lord. But you know what? When we get sick, I am reminded to thank God for every day that I live every breath that I take, every beat of my heart, every thought that I think, every step that I can take. It's a gift from God. I steward these gifts. So, oh God, I am reminded that, you know what? I am, I am not always strong. I need you to help me. I, I need you to give me life. And so I wanna use my life today 
I want to use it to accomplish your plan and your purpose. So help me. You know, when I look through the Bible, I see some incredible statements about anticipation of death. I can't promise everyone a healing, but I can promise all of us that it is appointed unto man once to die. That's not why you came to church, is it? But Jesus came, and while healing was a part of what he did, it was not all that he did. It was not the primary thing that he did. He came to go on a cross and pay for our sin so that if we would believe in him, we would not perish but have everlasting life. Paul says this, knowing that he very well may die and eventually he had his head chopped off. He was in prison. He said this in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who says things like that? Those of us who are in Christ, we can say things like that. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. So like Paul's like, I'm a little confused. Do I want to go ahead and die? For I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Which is far better. This is the kind of security we can have in Christ. Dr. D. James Kennedy was a very famous TV preacher back in the day, strong evangelist, pastored a big Presbyterian church in Florida. And I love this quote. He, he died already. But when he was alive, this is what he said. Now I know that someday I'm going to come to what some people will say is the end of my life. They will probably put me in a box and roll me right down here in front of the church and some people will gather around and a few people will cry. But I have told them not to do that because I don't want them to cry. I want them to begin the service with the doxology and end with the hallelujah chorus because I'm not going to be there and I'm not going to be dead. I will be more alive than I have ever been in my life and I will be looking down upon you poor people who are still living in the land of the dying and have not yet joined me in the land of the living and I will be alive forevermore in greater health and vitality and joy than ever, ever I or anyone has known before. That is what we can have in Christ. Jesus was about healing. But he was about far more than that. I want to ask you to bow your heads, if you will.